God's grace and peace to all of you dear people this morning on this special day we call communion. I ask you, what is the theme of your life? What is the theme of your life? Everyone has one. There's something obvious about each person, something that stands out. If the theme of your life is God's amazing grace, God's redeeming grace, people won't have to wonder what you're all about. It'll be obvious. We're here this morning because of God's redeeming grace. And our lives should leave no question about that. I invite you to John chapter 19 for a text this morning. I've titled this message, The Conqueror's Cry from the Cross. The Conqueror's Cry from the Cross. And I'd like to read the crucifixion account here as we find it in the Gospel of John. Starting at verse 17. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him on either side one, and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read, Many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier a part, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, and that the Scripture might be fulfilled, which it saith, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. Imagine the tenderness of that moment. Even as Jesus hung on the cross, he really wasn't thinking so much about himself as he was still about others. And we see that different times through this account. He's thinking about others. He's taking care of those that he loves the most. Verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, And put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It 
is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and of the other, which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bare record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe." For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again, another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. We'll stop reading there. The conqueror's cry from the cross in our theme verse is verse 30. Now words are powerful. Words are impactful. Words are influential. Words are life-changing. In fact, the scripture says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. I say, words are life-changing. In fact, single words have the power to change everything. By means of example, think of a courtroom setting and the word guilty. Think of how that would change everything. Think of the word yes in response to the question, will you marry me? (laughs) Okay, married fellas, we know that changes everything, does it not? On more of a serious note, think of the word goodbye. That has the power to change everything as well. Or think of the word safe. I say a single word has the power to change everything. But dear people, let me suggest to you this morning that no word ever spoken has had greater impact on the history and the destiny of mankind than the word tetelestai. Tetelestai. It's one Greek word translated into three English words. It is finished. Tetelestai. Tetelestai is from the Greek word teleo, And it means this, to bring to an end, to complete, to execute, to conclude, to accomplish, to fulfill, to pay, to telestai. Now, I would like to read some examples of how this word was commonly used in Jesus' day. This wasn't a new word to the people, but they understood it in these ways. Think about servants. Servants used to telestai when reporting to their master, I have completed the work assigned to me, to telestai. What about priests? 
Priests would examine animals for blemishes before they were sacrificed. If the lamb was faultless, perfect, and acceptable, the priest would exclaim, Telestai! Think about artists or writers. When the painter or the sculptor had put the last finishing touches to the vivid landscape or the marble bust, he would stand back a few feet to admire his masterpiece. And seeing in it nothing that called for correction or improvement, he would murmur fondly, Telestai, Telestai. Perfect. It's finished. Complete. What about merchants? In ancient times, when a promissory note was paid, the one holding the note wrote, Telestai, across it. A deed to property was not in effect until it was dated and signed. And when this was accomplished, the clerk wrote, Telestai, across the deed. When someone had a debt and it was paid off, the creditor would write, Telestai, on the certificate of debt, signifying that it was paid in full. And so when Jesus hung on the cross in that awful moment, and he said, Tell us die! The people understood what he meant. Maybe in more ways than one, and certainly probably in more ways than we do when we simply read the English version today. It meant something to them. You know, we find this word twice in this passage. The other is in verse 28. And this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished. There it is. Telestai. Accomplished. And then verse 30. It is finished. In fact, I understand that these are the only places in the Bible where this specific form of the word is used. I say this specific form of the word is used. Now, I understand that the word telestai is in the perfect passive tense, okay? Which describes a past completed event with a present effect. That's important. This Perfect passive tense of the word describes a past completed event with a present effect. Emphasizing that the past completed event of Christ's death on the cross has ongoing, in fact, even permanent effects. And so when Jesus died on the cross over 2,000 years ago on a hill far away, It didn't just simply fix the problem at that point. But that work continues into all of eternity. The work of redemption. It is finished. In fact, John is the only writer that uses these words. It is finished. Uh, The other three gospel writers, they simply say, Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. I think Matthew says he yielded up the ghost, but Mark and Luke both say he gave up the ghost. He cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And John says that loud cry was, It is finished. 
You know, this was not a cry, dear people, of defeat. Jesus wasn't bowing out of the fight. Jesus wasn't reluctantly surrendering. This wasn't an anguished moan or something that he quietly said under his breath. (laughs) But dear people, this was a cry of victory. The battle had been won. And I notice here that Jesus received the vinegar. Verse 29, he received the vinegar and then he spoke these final words. Now it's interesting to note that in Mark's account, we read that vinegar or something had been offered to him to drink earlier in the ordeal, but he received it not. He refused it. But now, right prior to him speaking these powerful words of finality and victory, he received the drink. He received the vinegar. In fact, when we read in Psalm 22, which is a prophetic psalm, speaking of Jesus, pointing towards Jesus' crucifixion, there we read that my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Thinking of the horrors of crucifixion and how that affected your body and your bodily functions. My my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And yet Jesus was not done. He had something that must be said. It is finished. And so in order to say that, Jesus was human, right? In order to say that, he received the drink and cried, It is finished. Telestai. Telestai. Truly, this was the conqueror's cry from the cross. Now, it is finished. My question for this morning is, what is finished? When Jesus cried, it is finished, what was he saying? What was he implying? First of all, Jesus' physical life was ended. Now, Jesus was God in the flesh. Jesus was truly God and truly man. Fully God and fully man. In every sense, we cannot understand that. We cannot wrap our minds around that. But the Bible says that God sent His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. The Bible says that He was made like unto His brethren. The Bible says that He was made in the likeness of men and He was found in fashion as a man. This is the great, mighty Creator God who allowed Himself to be put into the package of His creation. And the Bible makes it clear that His life was not extinguished on the cross outside of His control, but that Jesus was in full control of that experience on the cross. And in complete surrender to His Father's will, He gave up His life for our redemption. Physically, He died. Physically, He gave up the ghost. And we still use that phrase today in a much lighter sense, obviously. But whether it's a person, perhaps, or whether it's an animal, we say, yeah, they gave up the ghost. 
But that goes back further than just modern talk. It has to do with leaving this life, physical life being ended. And truly, it was the ultimate sacrifice. The scripture says it was the sacrifice once and for all when he died on the cross for the sins of mankind. Now, there are unbelievers who say that, well, Jesus just simply swooned on the cross. Or that he went into a coma. And then when he was put into the grave, uh, the coolness of that tomb revived him. And he was able to get out. (laughs) Dear people, uh, the truth of God's word tells us otherwise. And in fact, there are many accounts, there are many witnesses that give undeniable evidence that Jesus died, physically died, and then rose from the grave, rose from the dead. Think of the centurion that stood there and watched these things unfolding. He was to watch over that crucifixion event. And when it was all said and done, he said, truly, this was the Son of God. All the gospel writers, they saw it. They wrote about it. And in fact, I just read here in John 19 that there was many Jews there. There were many Jews there. They said, no, don't put that he was king of the Jews, but that he said he was. And so there was a whole crowd of Jews there just anxious to see him die. They were there. They watched. They were witnesses. Think of the angels at Jesus' tomb, at his empty tomb. Are you seeking for Jesus who is crucified? He's not here. He's risen from the dead. You think the angels were lying? Think about all the worshiping host in heaven that is even today exclaiming, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. (laughs) I say, proof that Jesus truly died. His physical life ended. It is finished. Secondly, What was finished? The prophecies are fulfilled. And there are many. We find the first glimmer of the gospel in Genesis 3.15. And we read, and here, speaking to Satan, to the serpent, we read, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And so God was speaking here to the serpent, to Satan, saying that, yes, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be pain. There's going to be anguish. There's going to be suffering. But you will have the last say. You will, you will give a death blow to the head of Satan. The prophecies, I say, are fulfilled. In fact, there's over 300 prophecies that point to a coming Messiah. And there's around 30 prophecies that were fulfilled on crucifixion day. In fact, right here in this passage, we see four of them. Verse 24, a prophecy about Jesus' clothes. Verse 28, a prophecy about Him being thirsty and drinking. Verse 36, the prophecy of no broken bones. Verse 37, 
The prophecy of a pierced side. And we could look at others. In fact, two of the greatest passages that speak prophetically, pointing to the crucifixion and Jesus' suffering and death, Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, and for sake of time, we won't go there this morning, but some very vivid prophecies that point to this great event of redemption. Dear people, God's word is truth. You can stake your lives on it. And so read it. Listen to it. Believe it. Live it. Make it your guide for life. It is finished. What was finished? Well, the old covenant is done. The old is away. The old is out. The new is in. In fact, the scripture says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. And so the old covenant was marked by continual sacrifices, continual ceremonies that only covered the sins of the people. And that is worth noting. They only covered the sins of the people. In fact, Hebrews 10 says that it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin. It's not possible. Forgiveness was obtained through a priest that stood between God and man. That was the method. The priest offered the sacrifices for the people. But then Jesus came as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. No longer is there simply a covering for sins, but there is a complete cleansing from sins. Beautiful. As we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sins. Powerful, beautiful. And so, when Jesus gave His life as a sin offering on the cross, the Bible says that the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom, signifying that this was an act of God. God did it. God was opening His arms and warmly welcoming all mankind into a rich, vibrant relationship with Him with the loving Heavenly Father. This was not man trying to redeem himself as much as it was God saying, come to me and experience rest, experience peace. Something that truly only God can do. F.B. Meyer wrote this, and I quote, from the gates of Eden, the blood of sacrifice had begun to flow augmented by the confluent streams of the years. From the moment of the cross, however, not another drop need be shed. The types were finished now that the antitype had been realized. And Nelson Showater would like that one, I'm sure. But (laughs) the, the types were finished now that the antitype, capital A, had been realized. The real thing was now here. You see, the Old Covenant points to something 
yet to come. It was always pointing forward, always pointing forward to something greater, something yet to come. And the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross then helps us to understand the past more clearly. There's a direct connection there. The old is pointing forward. And as we then experience Christ's sacrifice on the cross, we can look back and say, yes, I see it. Okay, it makes sense. The two then fit together so well. We understand it all. Well, (laughs) not quite. But we can understand it more clearly as we look at the two. You see, truly, the cross completes the picture of redemption. And it was something that was on the Father's heart before the world began. The scripture speaks of a lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Or before the world was even created, God had this wonderful plan of redemption in mind. Turn to Hebrews chapter 8. You know, Hebrews is the book of better things. And so we're going to note a number of passages in Hebrews in the next few points here. But Hebrews chapter 8, specifically as it relates to the old covenant is done and the new covenant has arrived, is here. Now, I'm going to break break in here at verse 3. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore, it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. Speaking of our great high priest, Jesus Christ. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For, see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern shown to thee in the mount. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant which I made uh, with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. And they shall, ne- and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. I say when Jesus exclaimed on the cross, Telestai, it is finished! He was partly saying that the old covenant is done. There is now a new and living way that we may boldly enter into the holiest by the blood of Christ. 
Fourthly then, Jesus' mission is accomplished. When Jesus cried, it is finished, it signified that his mission is accomplished. You know, why did Jesus come to earth anyway? What was his purpose for coming? John 6.38, Jesus says, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but to do the will of him that sent me. That's why he came. Well, what was God's will for him then? What was the will of the Father for the Son? Mark 10.45, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. That was the will of the Father. That the Son would be sacrificed to redeem mankind. To restore the severed relationship with God the Father. And Jesus the Son was surrendered to the will of the Father. Hebrews chapter 1. Let's just notice three places here in Hebrews that speak of Jesus' mission being accomplished. Hebrews 1 verse 3. And this here, the the writer is is describing who Jesus is. (laughs) He's not just any old son. But in fact, He is the brightness of His glory. The brightness of the Father's glory. And the express image of His person. And upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Mission accomplished when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down. The work has been completed. I have come to do your will, O God. I have done it. Chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10. 11 through 13. Once again, Hebrews, the book of better things. And every priest, verse 11, standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, once and for all, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. He's sitting down, waiting for God the Father to say, time has come to an end. Let's bring the children home. The battle has been won. Jesus has accomplished the mission. He surrendered to the will of the Father. He went through with that. And now he sits at the right hand of God. Anxiously awaiting when God the Father gives the next order. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, He came. Why? Why did Jesus come? He came not to do His own will, but to do the will of the Father. And so as He lived His life, 
According to the will of the Father, there was joy. There was peace. There was purpose. Why? Because he was fulfilling the will of the Father. And so then he could even endure the cross with joy. Why? Because of how terrible it was? No. The cross experience was horrific. We can't even wrap our minds around how terrible that was. But Jesus' focus was not on the cross. It was past the cross. It was what, it was what that would mean to not only Him personally in that He followed through with the will of the Father, but also what that would mean for all mankind. And so with His mind on the other side of the cross, He could then go through with that joyfully because He was doing the will of the Father. And who doesn't want to please their Father? You see, when we please our Father, whether it's an earthly Father or our loving Heavenly Father, it brings joy, it brings satisfaction, it brings meaning to life. Jesus' mission is accomplished. Number five then, redemption is completed. When Jesus cried out, it is finished, what was he signifying? Redemption is completed. Colossians 1 verse 14 says, in whom we have redemption through his blood. It doesn't end there. It says, even the forgiveness of sins. Isn't that beautiful? (laughs) We have redemption through his blood. But how does that impact us? You can say, well, that sounds good. Thank you. But what does that mean for me? You know what it means for me if you've been born again. It it means your sins have been washed away. It means that you've been forgiven all your iniquities. You see, through Christ's death on the cross, God's justice has been satisfied. The awful price of sin has been fully paid. Redemption is completed. Relationship is restored. Telestai. It is finished. I find this interesting that this word telestai actually speaks of divine satisfaction. And we find this picture of divine satisfaction in a couple different places in Scripture, and maybe many more, but two of the places came to my mind. And one is in the Old Testament, and one is in the New Testament. When Jesus, actually God the Father, when He completed the work of creation, we read about there in Genesis 1 and 2, when He completed the work of creation, He said, it is very good. The Scripture says that, and God saw that it was good, very good. And then here in John chapter 19, when the work of redemption was completed, we read, it is finished. And you know, with each of those, you can say it, and then you know how it is in your work, in your responsibilities today, you just kind of take a, a breath of fresh air. <sighs> Complete. Very good. Finished. There's divine satisfaction there, okay? At least as we look at how God responded to these works. And perhaps when Jesus cried, It is finished! Perhaps the loving Heavenly Father 
smiled through his tears. Perhaps he did. The son had fulfilled the mission. Redemption was completed. Turn to Hebrews chapter 9. In verse 6, Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which we, I'm sorry, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances, imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause He is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Wow. Eternal redemption for us through the blood of Christ. Did I say that this word telestai is in the perfect tense? The perfect passive tense? I did. But what does that signify? That it was a past completed event that has present effects. In fact, it goes into eternity. And this redemption is eternal for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Lastly then, Telestai, it is finished. What was being said there? Satan, dear people, is defeated. Satan is defeated. You know, Jesus said in uh, John, I'm not sure where it is, chapter 16 or 17 perhaps, that in this world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Dear people, there's going to be sorrows. There's going to be struggles. There's going to be bitter times, very difficult experiences, but cheer up. This is not the end. The battle, in fact, has been won. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. 
Colossians chapter 2. Starting at verse 13. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath He quickened together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. Do you see that? It was against us. And He reiterates, it was contrary to us. And He took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. The word picture here is so so vivid. And having spoiled principalities and powers, He made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it. (laughs) That word spoil has the idea of of robbing, to take your most valuable possessions away from you. And he says that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, the power of Satan was spoiled. (laughs) He was robbed of anything he had. The victory was claimed. And it says that it was an open show. It was nothing done behind closed doors. But it was an open show of God's greater power and glory and might. When Jesus died on the cross, triumphing over, triumphing over them in it. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 reads this way, He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. John writes, that's why Jesus Christ came into this world. He came on a mission to defeat Satan. That he might destroy the works of the devil. Turn once more to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2. And verse 14, we read, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise, speaking of Jesus Christ, took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. And I know you might be thinking, well, wait a minute. What do you mean he destroyed him who had the power of death? I mean, so if he destroyed him, then why are we dealing with why are we dealing with this today? Why is there so much sin and strife and war and hatred and you name it in this world today? Why do I feel the attacks of Satan against me? I thought he destroyed him. The word actually there means, when it says destroy, it means to disarm, to make him of none effect. Satan has no more effect and no more power to the believer, to the one who trusts in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, to the one who walks in the light. And when you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, there is no more fear of death. He says we've been delivered, verse 15, who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That was our fear before Christ. But then you, you come to Christ in faith. And through that life of Christ within you, there is no more fear of death. In fact, you anticipate going home with Him. 
There's joy there. There's an urgency there. Expectancy. And so, yes, although there is struggle and there is strife and there is sin and there is hatred and all of that today, yet the believer, the child of God, is not in bondage to that. We've been delivered from that. And truly, God has the final word in this. Not Satan. And so, yes, there are still battles to be fought. There are still victories to be won. There's a crown to run for. But dear people, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. More than conquerors. And God's love was very clearly shown to the world through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross of Calvary. And so Satan is defeated and his doom is sure. Praise God. Praise God. It is finished. I think yet of the song written by Philip Bliss. Man of sorrows. What a name. For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude in my place. Condemned, he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished, was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let's pray. Lord, we are just unworthy to stand before you this morning. As children of the King. Oh, Father, we sense our unworthiness. We sense our undoneness in light of your all-surpassing glory and grace and mercy and power. And Father, it is our desire to live for you. It's our desire to love you more and more. It's our desire to, to more fully surrender our lives to you. And yet we know that, that what we have to offer is just such a meager, a meager portion of what you deserve. But Father, we thank you for that great gift of love. We thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on our behalf. And Father, we thank you for the promise that as we walk in the light, as Christ, as you are in the light, we have fellowship one with another and that blood of Jesus Christ continually, actively, ongoing, cleanses us from all sin. We praise you for that, Father. And Lord, I pray that as we've once again just been struck with the truth of the gospel and how that impacts our lives today, and in fact for all eternity, help us to come away with a renewed wonder and awe. And Father, I pray that it wouldn't just stay with us, but then our lives then would be a channel of blessing and testimony to those around us, that our neighbors, that our, our employees, that those we work together with, that those in our brotherhood here would know without a shadow of a doubt that the theme of our life is redeeming grace. And may you be glorified through it all. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.